0: Watching the video, uh, I preached in some of those churches and been to camp and knew some of those pastors. Uh, we do have a love for the people of Cuba. Uh, ironically, just a little trivia, you know, they, they shows that the cattle. It is illegal uh, to eat beef uh, if you're not a member of the Communist Party. You get 25 years in prison. Now think about that, 25 years in prison if you're not part of the Communist Party. And, uh, so they are, you know, the people, are there They're struggling. Uh, they are under oppression. It's uh, still want, probably one of the, all the places I've been. I feel more safe there than any place I've ever been because the, uh, the Communist Party doesn't want anything to happen to American tourists, and the Cubans love us, and they want to take care of us. And so uh, but please pray for them. Uh, and they pray for us. And I, I promise you, when I know the Cubans are praying for us, they take it seriously. Uh, it's not just something they, they say, mark it off a checklist. They really pray. This morning, we're continuing our series on the names of God, and look with us our passage from the book of Exodus chapter 15. The book of Exodus chapter 15, we're we'll again reading with verse 22. What we're doing is we're looking at the name, some of the names of God. We cannot look at all of them because there are literally hundreds of names in the Bible uh, telling us who God is. God always reveals himself by these names, showing us who he is better, showing us how we can relate to him better, showing us his power. And so we're looking at some of the names. And today we're going to be looking at a name that this is the first time it's mentioned in the book of Exodus chapter 15. The book of Exodus, the second book of the uh, Bible, and we have the story the people have left Egypt, they've gone through the Red Sea, and now we pick up the story, chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. And there he made for them a a statute and regulations, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. And then verse 27. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Pray with me. Now, Father, in the next few moments we pray that you will help us to understand this name that you revealed yourself in this passage. The Father will understand you better and serve you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The most sacred symbol in Oklahoma City is a tree. It's a sprawling, shade bearing, 80 year old American elm. And people drive from all over to take their picture in front of the tree. That tree means something to them. Now, there are other trees in Oklahoma City that are larger, more fuller, more greener. But this tree is cherished because of what it reminds people of. It reminds people not of the appearance of a tree. It reminds them of endurance. This tree endured the Oklahoma City bombing. Many of you remember that day when Timothy McVeigh parked his truck, killed 168 people, 850 wounded, destroying the federal building, and the tree ended up in the rubble. Now, no one expected the tree to survive. No one really cared about the tree at the time. It was only after a while they noticed the tree, although it was under the the rubble, began to bud. And sprouts pressed through the damaged bark and turned green. And it gave hope to the people. And that tree became a symbol in that area. That is a tree that gives hope to people. Well, in our text this morning, we find another tree giving hope to another group of people. And through this miracle, God reveals himself by another name. Now, you know the story, probably most of you know the story, how the people were slaves in Egypt. God led them out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. They cannot go forward, and they cannot go backward because the Egyptian army is after them. They're between a rock and a hard place. There's no way out of this. There's no way they can fight the Egyptian army. There's no way they can cross the Red Sea. And then God does this incredible miracle. He parts the Red Sea, and the people walk on dry land to the other side. And then when the Egyptian army gets there, the waters came over the Egyptian army and destroyed them. This was an incredible miracle that they witnessed. And now we pick up the story in verse 22. It says, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Now, now that word Shur in the Hebrew language means wall. And that's probably what they thought when they got there. The wall of despair. They thought there would be a time of blessing. They left Egypt, but now they're in the wilderness, and they're looking for water. And there's no water to be found. Verse 23, they come to Marah, and they found water there, but they couldn't drink it because it was bitter. Three days in the wilderness, and they get to this place they wanted to go to to get water, and they cannot because it was bitter. And so the people began to grumble. They wanted water. And because the water was bitter, they became bitter. They became bitter to the promises and the presence of God. They had already forgotten all about the slavery in Egypt. They had forgotten that during the Passover, God told them to eat the bitter herbs to remind them of the slavery. And they're bitter. And so verse 24, they come to Moses and say, what are you going to do? They're mad at at God, but they go to Moses, the leader. You brought us here. What are you going to do? And Moses does what we should always do when we have a problem we can't figure out. He prays. And God shows them a tree, and God says, throw the tree into the waters." And Moses throws the tree in the water, and the bitter water becomes sweet. As a reminder, God doesn't work the way we work. There's, There's no way we would have thought of this. In fact, there is no tree that could do this. This is a miracle of God. And in that setting, God tells the people another name. He said, I am the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. This morning, I want to look at three principles from this text. We need to learn about God as he reveals his name. The first principle is this. Bitterness often comes with forgetfulness. Bitterness often comes with forgetfulness. I mean, here they are. They they get to Mara, and the water is bitter, and they're angry. What happened? They forgot God. I mean, they forgot about the goodness of God. They forgot about the faithfulness of God. They forgot about the power of God. I mean... It's only three days. I mean, in three days, they forgot the power of God. They forgot their encounter with God. In other words, some of you this Wednesday are going to have a bad day because you forgot this worship service. You have forgotten the mercies of God. You have forgotten the grace of God. It only takes about three days. Whenever you are bitter, you're going to forget. You know Why? Because what we do, we start focusing on our problems rather than the power and the presence of God. Because here's what I know. What you look at determines where you go. Where, what you listen to will determine how you think. And if you focus only on your problems, your problems are only going to get worse. But if you focus on God, your problems become smaller. If you listen to the world, your problems will only get worse. But if you listen to God, your problems... We'll not be as bad. You know, over 200 times in the Bible, God says to remember. You know why? We forget. I mean, even the Lord suffered. Jesus said, re, re, do this in remembrance of me because he knew you're going to forget. You're going to forget the suffering and the shame and the sorrow and the shedding of my blood. That's why he gives us two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and the baptism, as a reminder of what Jesus did. So this morning, please understand, bitterness often comes with forgetfulness. Secondly, mountaintops experiences are often followed by major tests. Mountaintop experiences are often followed by major tests. I mean, they just had a mountaintop experience. They saw the water part. They saw the Egyptian army destroyed. This is a mountaintop experience. In fact, back in chapter 14, verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believe the Lord and his servant Moses. And then in chapter 15, the beginning of that book, that chapter, they wrote a song. They're praising God. They were on a mountaintop. And now, at the end of this chapter, the Bible says God gave them a test. God will test us, usually after mountaintop experiences. And whenever God tests us according to his will, we know one or two things. Well, really, we know both, I guess. Number one, testing God's will reveal that you, if you've been paying attention or if you've just been going through the motions. Test in God's will reveal if you've been paying attention or just going through the motions. Sometimes right after a mountaintop experience, God will give us a test to see, did we really learn what we had on the mountaintop? Remember Elijah? Mount Carmel? God had a, Incredible miracle as he brought fire from heaven. And all the prophets of Baal were destroyed. And then what happened? Elijah finds out the queen wants him dead. Elijah becomes scared and he does a marathon. He runs until he says, it is enough, Lord, just take my life. He failed the test. He had the mountaintop experience, but he forgot what the Lord showed him. Remember Jonah, Nineveh? He preached there, and the whole city turned to the Lord, and Jonah became upset. In Jonah chapter 4, he said, Lord, take my life. Why? He failed the test. He had a mountaintop experience. He saw a whole city come to know the Lord, but he failed the test because he did not see that God is a God of grace and forgiveness because he didn't want those people saved anyway. Here the people are in Mara. God shows them the test. They had forgotten God. They didn't learn the lesson. God took care of them. God parted waters. Don't you think God could give them some water? please listen. We forget what God can do in our lives because we forget what God has done in our lives. That's the problem. Whenever you are tested after a mountaintop experience, God is just saying, did you pay attention during the mountaintop? Number two, tests are designed to reveal to you something about God, something you did not know, understand, or appreciate. God is going to show them something in this test. He is going to show them something. And the first thing he's going to show them about God is, you can be in God's will and still be in the wilderness. Please understand that. They're in the wilderness. They're not in the wilderness because they're outside of the will of God. They're in the wilderness because they are in the will of God. They thought, well, we're going to leave Egypt and everything's going to be fine and we're going to not have any problems. Everything's going to be great. But they go three days and they're in the wilderness. And some of you here today... Some of you online, you're going through a wilderness. And you're trying to decide, is it because I'm out of God's will? It may not be. Maybe you're right in the middle of God's will. But there are still times of wilderness. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They end up in a fiery furnace. Why? Because they were in the center of God's will. Remember Daniel? He ended up in a lion's den. Why? Because he was in the center of God's will. Remember Paul? He ended up in prison. Why? Why? Because he was in the center of God's will. God is showing the people this lesson about him that you can be in the center of God's will and still go through the wilderness experience. I love what Elizabeth Elliott writes. She said, Every experience of trial puts you to this test do you trust God or don't you? Every time you and I go through a test, we got to ask the question do we really trust God? Because here's what we do we do it wrong. As believers, we should never ask why we go through a test. Whenever something bad happens to us, we should ask why. We should ask what. I mean, instead of asking, why is this happening to me? We should be asking, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What can I do for you now? You see, God will send us through tests to reveal himself to us who he is. Third principle. Crises are often times of illumination. Crises are often times of illumination. It is in our crisis, it is in our pain that God will show us things that we wouldn't see any other way. My first church, met a man, Mr. Louis Case. Everyone called him Mr. Louis. When I knew him, he was 90 years old. He fought in World War I. He was a doughboy. I just love talking to him. One day I get a call. His grandson' house burned to the ground. They lost everything. No one was hurt. No one was injured. They got the family out, but they lost everything. They called me and they said, would you go talk to my grandfather and tell him the house burned? Because we don't know how he's going to take it. He's 90 years old. We don't, he may have a heart attack. He, he may go to hysterics. We don't know. Could you do it? We're okay. We lost everything. Of course, I'm thinking, he went through World War I. I think he could handle some of So I went to his trailer. We sat on the porch and said, Mr. Louie, I've got to tell you something. First of all, your family's okay. No one was injured. No one's dead. But there was a fire last night, and they lost everything. And he sat there for a second. He said, well... When I was young, our house burned to the ground, and we lost everything, and we rebuild. And then he said, Preacher, in a fire, you will always know what's important. I have never forgotten those words. In a fire, you will know what's important. In a crisis, you're going to find out what's important. All of a sudden, what you thought was important is no longer important in a crisis. In this crisis of bitter water, the Lord is eliminating this incredible promise. He says, for every problem you face, I have a provision. There in the middle of the wilderness, there's bitter water, and God says, I can solve it. So in verse 14, it says he showed, or verse 24, he says he showed Moses a tree. That, that word literally means pointing an arrow. He said, I, I wanna show you this tree, Moses. You put the tree in the water, And it'll be okay. Now, this is ridiculous. There is no tree that does this. But God is doing a miracle. And God is at this time going to point himself to the people in verse 26. He turned the bitter water into sweet water. It says in verse 25, he tested them. And then he says in verse 26, I will put none of the diseases on you which I put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. God says to the people. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now, this is the first time that word, that name appears. Now, the word Rapha is used over 60 times in the Bible, 67 times in the Bible. It's used to describe something that's being restored, something being mended, something being cured. So, in 1 Kings, we find Elijah restoring an altar. That's the word used. He's repairing it. In, In 2 Kings, we find Elisha. Putting salt in water and changing it into the original state, he's restoring something. So this word is used, for example, to, to fix a torn garment, someone that take a ripped garment and, and, and mend it and put it back together. This was a word used to describe a building falling apart. The foundation is, is, is fractured, and you repair it. This is a word to describe someone who is sick and now they're cured. Do you see what God is saying? God is saying, when your heart is broken and your world is falling apart, God commend your heart. He's saying, when your life is falling apart, your foundation is falling apart. When life is crashing in, I can rebuild you. He's saying, when you are sick, God says, God says, I can restore your health, or one day I'll give you a new body. Either way, there will be healing. God is saying to the people, I will restore you. I am the healer. Now, please understand, all healing comes from God, no matter how it's done, whether immediately or through medicine or through surgery. It makes no difference. God is the healer. And usually we think about the physical healing, but this word means more than that. He's talking about the emotional healing. The The phrase we read just a few moments ago, he heals the broken hearts and binds up their wounds. God says, I can heal you. You're hurting so bad, you don't know if you can continue on. God says, I can heal you. You don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. God says, I can heal you. You've been carrying pain maybe for years, maybe since childhood. God says, I can restore you. Maybe something happened this week. God says, I can restore you. I am the healer. God is the restorer. But you've got to put this in context. There's something something great about this passage. Verse 26, he said, I will put none of the diseases on you like I did Egypt. What is he saying? God sent plagues to Egypt because they didn't serve God. They followed idols. God is telling the people of Israel, look, as long as you serve me, I will not treat you like the pagan world. As long as you serve me, I will not send plagues on you. Is he saying they'll never get sick? He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I will never bring my judgment upon you as long as you serve me. God is our healer. God says, let me heal you. Let me restore you. And God still does that today. Do you know how he does it? In the book of Exodus, they took a tree. They threw it in the water, and they turned the bitter water sweet. God used another tree 2,000 years ago when his son Jesus died on it. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. In the book of Exodus, God is pointing to another tree that's coming. A tree where his son would die. So he could heal us and restore us to a relationship with the father. And I love the last verse, verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. Do you see the picture? They're in Marah. There's no water. God is testing them in Marah. They pass the test, and God sends them to Elam, where there's 12 springs. How many tribes are there? Twelve. There's one spring for each tribe. What is a spring? That's fresh water flowing. You're going to have fresh water. He gave them trees so they have shade and rest. He is saying, look, you passed through the test of Marah, and because you passed through the test, I'm bringing healing. I'm bringing refreshing water. I am restoring you. Now, to get to Elam, you've got to go through Marah. Some of you may be in Marah today. Some of you are being tested today. Some of you are going through the wilderness today. But trust me, once you get through there, there is Elam. Because beyond every Mara, there's an Elam. Beyond every storm, there's a rainbow. Beyond every shadow, there's a light. And what God is saying is, wherever you are, you may be in Marah, but Elam is right around the corner. And when you learn the lessons God is teaching you, when you can learn to rely upon God, God will get you there. That's what he's saying because he is Jehovah Rapha. So you may be hurting today physically, emotionally, spiritually. There may be something on your mind. You're saying, I don't know if I can continue on. I don't know if I can keep walking through this this situation. I don't know why this guilt is is so strong on me. Something I did years ago or last week, I don't know, but I know this. Our Lord is Jehovah Rapha. And he can restore, and he can give you peace, because two thousand years ago, his son Jesus Christ came to a cross, the tree to make bitter life sweet, and God can refresh your life and if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so? if you're watching online if you'll If you'd like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, just text the uh, word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will, will give you a call back. But if you're here this morning, what's stopping you? What is stopping you from coming to God? God says, I will give you rest. I will refresh you. I will restore you. I will give you peace. I will give you my power. I will give you my presence. What's stopping you? Is it because you're in the balcony? Listen, we'll wait for you. I mean, because you're in the back, we'll wait for you. There is no excuse to give your life to Christ this morning. Or maybe as a believer, you're in the wilderness. Yes, you're in the center of God's will. But you're in the wilderness and you're hurting. And for you, God would say, trust me. I haven't left you. I'm still there. I'll give you peace and i give you my protection. Would you stand by your heads? Our Father, right now, Satan is giving people all the reasons why they shouldn't give their life to you. Oh, Father, we know the things he will say to us. He'll say, well, you can't hold out. Or just wait till next week. Oh, you don't want to embarrass yourself. Oh, it's too far to walk. It's, it's too difficult to, to text the, that number. Father, let us not listen to the lies of Satan anymore. But let, let us listen to the cries of our Lord saying, come to me. Father, they're hurting people here. They're hurting people online. And you love them. Bring them comfort, Father. Show them who you are, Father, today. You're Jehovah Rapha, our healer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.